0: Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. Listen now, um, For a word from God, we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members, they don't need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The body is, it's amazing. I know we don't feel this way all the time about all of the body, but truly it is amazing. We have 206 bones that work alongside 639 muscles. The average human has, get this, grossest statistic of the sermon, I promise, six pounds of skin, not to mention our ligaments, cartilage, veins, blood, fat, organs. There is a lot in these systems that is miraculously working together every second of every minute of every day, and we aren't conscious of most of it. I think about what my body has to be doing for me to stand up, speak to you more or less coherent words, and then have you hear them in your own body and make sense of them, all while your heart beats, your lungs breathe in and out, and blood circulates. What people in technology will tell you is that the human body represents one of the most complex systems in existence. It is a huge system of parts expressing and creating the life of one individual human. And each part is essential to the overall being. The opposable thumbs allowing us to grasp our fork to eat, our food, and then toes that keep us balanced while we're standing and walking, and the belly button, a great reminder of how this body emerged from another body, all the parts working together to create a life. And because of this amazingness, the body is a playground for metaphors. The body itself has been used as a metaphor for countless organizations and human endeavors and systems. And even in the time of Paul, who's writing 1 Corinthians, as he writes his own treatise on the metaphor of the body, there were already others that were at it, his contemporaries. So the Roman elite were using the body as a metaphor for how the castes of society should interact with each other, how the parts of the body were all separate and served different separate functions. The wealthy and powerful were the head and should be separate and treated differently than say the hands or the slaves, which served them meals. Or take the Roman military. They would often refer to people's jobs using a body metaphor coordinating who does what based on what part of the body they represented in the military. And the more important people were the head or the mouth, the commanding unit that deserved loyalty and respect. The foot soldiers were, you know, feet. And they should be grateful that they have a head to guide them and tell them where to go. So in these examples, it's probably pretty obvious to you already that the metaphor of the body has been wielded as a tool to maintain hierarchy or the status quo or the power of those who thought they were the most essential in Paul's day and age. However, the essential diversity that allows a body to even survive was being partitioned off, categorized, valued according to the standard of the rulers. These metaphors were solidifying hierarchies, not celebrating miraculous systems of care. So when Paul is faced with helping the church in Corinth understand its own life together, he reached for the metaphor of the body, but he inverted it as the gospel demanded. So the church in Corinth, much like a body, had a lot of diversity in it. It was a trade and port town, so the population was varied, probably culturally wide ranging. And this was reflected in the church at Corinth that Paul helped plant, and then he left to grow and develop on its own. And grow it did, had by, by leaps and bounds, but there were also hiccups and growing pains. Some of these presented themselves in the space of worship, where they gathered together as an entire body. Shockingly, I know you'll never guess this, but different people had different needs and preferences in the worship space. They also had different abilities to help with worship, some folks were good at teaching, others at praying, some at speaking in tongues, and others at trying to help decipher what they were attempting to communicate. Some folks were placing a lot more value on certain aspects of worship and their shared lives, calling out these things as more important. Now, Paul could have used the body metaphor to further establish order and let them know what parts were more essential than others. That's how his contemporaries were using the metaphor. He could have drawn firm lines and let the people know who does what and why and how it stacks up in creating a flourishing spiritual life, but he doesn't. Paul does the opposite. He offers them the metaphor of the body to show them how ridiculous they are to think they can value some gifts from God, but live without others. What would a face look like without eyes? You wouldn't know because you wouldn't have eyes to see it. Or what about a body that was one giant ear? It's absurd. If a system was converted to just one of its parts, it would no longer be that system. If a body was one giant nose, it would no longer be a body and would no longer be able to do the amazing things a diverse body can do. So Paul tells us, gives us this reminder, but then he continues in his metaphor. But he has to actually kind of make up for the way the body metaphor has already been abused in their society. The rulers have convinced everyone that those outwardly attractive and obviously useful parts of the body, um, them, that they're of more value, should be treated with greater honor. But Paul says, no, it's actually the opposite. To be a healthy body, we need to work hard at showing honor to the parts of the body that rarely get recognized lest we take advantage of them or they atrophy. We need to remind ourselves of how important those pieces to our body are that work behind the scenes or that deal with the smelly stuff or that we don't speak of because our own shame limits our language. Paul is exhorting them to not fall into the temptation to celebrate only the shiny stuff and the showy people. That is not kingdom of God talk. That's kingdom of Rome talk. Let's honor, Paul encourages them, the parts that don't get honor. Let's do something surprising and helpful. But why? Because like we've talked about, you know, Paul knows that the body is a system and all the parts matter. The ones you see, the ones you don't. And lest you forget about the ones you don't see, we must emphasize them all the more. But not only that. There is another reason that Paul demands that all the body, all the people in their community be taken seriously. I think it's because Paul recognizes someone else's body that comes alive when we do this. And it's Christ's body. Every part and every place of the community of faith is a particular part of Christ being remembered and brought to life. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it, he tells them. Each piece is a reflection of Christ's life, Christ's work, and Christ's love. That is the surprising place where we encounter Christ, like our series says. Beyond his death, into his resurrection, it's in the individual people of this great body of faithful parts that spans this room and this world. So are you a bone holding things steady? Great. We need 206 of you. How about a muscle making things move? There are 639 important places to put you. Some of you are skin, six pounds of it. And I really appreciate how you give us shape. Without you, we would truly fall apart. Are you a mouth capable of communicating Jesus's love? Thank you. Are you an ear capable of hearing people into healing? Thank you. Are you a toenail? Working hard to protect us when we step out in faith and bump into stuff? Bless you. Are you a glute, a.k.a. a butt? You're coordinating the momentum of liftoff for each of our steps forward. Nice job. Are you hands that wash, feed, organize? That's how we have fresh mugs each week to make people feel welcome. And each of those individual things, the toenails, skin, butt, hand, guess what? They are all places to encounter Jesus. All part of the body of Christ. So we need you. And you need each other. And Christ needs hands and feet. Don't let the world tell you the brain or the mouth or the heart justify the rest. Follow the metaphor through. The body is the body because it has you and you and you and our listeners. It's one body of the divine. It is Christ walking this earth with all of you as the many essential and intricately working parts. Amen.